why do this i, I don't see the impact mainly i do it because it's interest me and it's fun i would be happy to say i want to change the world i want to help people i like to talk about these topics with people but also because most of the time the human discussion goes very slow and if i can contribute a comma or a dot to the human discussion i'll be happy and that's enough for me i live in this world and it doesn't make sense and we have climate change and we have wars and we have scarcity which is not real so what can i do i can do this it's it's not much and and this is going to be my contribution but this is where i start Hello and welcome to the Postmaterialist Podcast. I'm your host, Ilya Sogolov. Our world is troubled by war, economic crisis and climate change. So much so that many talk about the need for a different system altogether. This podcast will explore thinking, talking and making system change. We will explore questions like, can our culture and behavior be altered or are we chained to a so-called human nature? How does culture change? How to live in a system if we want to change it? And what societies are even possible? We will speak with scientists, activists, and other guests while keeping things as scientific and entertaining as possible. Just a brief moment to introduce myself. I came to Berlin... I studied here political science and sociology for master only sociology. I went through all the three major universities of Berlin, ending starting now my PhD in uh, the Technical University of Berlin. Welcome to this first episode of the Postmaterialist podcast. In this episode, I interviewed Jonathan Gunmore. Who is a speaker and activist of a movement in which we both took part, which ideas have changed my thinking till this very day. To jump right to the beginning of the interview, go to minute seven and a half. To facilitate this interview, I was trying to set up a very ambitious technical circumstances. I was trying to have Jonathan, which was in, on Zoom unfortunately and not live. And three other guests with me in the same studio, so they can live react and ask him questions while also being reactive to me. The technicality of that was super complicated for the first episode of anything. So it took us one and a half hour to set it. Hello, Hello. and welcome. Still echo. We can say it's a podcast from space. Victor, Victor, this is Houston calling. But eventually things did work and we did end up with a solid one hour of good recordings. And all recording devices were in place and ready to go. Is everything recording? Really? Everything is recording, guys! Okay. My, my iPhone is recording and yes. the Zoom is recording. So we have how many things recording? I, don't, I, I stopped counting. Great. Okay. 
have a camera in Zoom, a camera in, in here, a camera there, super professional. Okay, I think we're ready. I don't know if a video of this podcast will appear, but uh, if you're only listening to this and there's no video available for you, Jonathan came up sporting a beard of Cyrus the Great or perhaps Theodor Herzl at least. So I will make some remarks on that as we go. I like that you're you fucking brushing your beard in the meanwhile. Such a <laughs> Chad move in the Maldives, brushing your beard. So badass. Okay, the guys are in Zoom now. We pray to the gods of podcast that they can hear you. Let's I think it will be easier next time I'll take a flight to your place. Oh, yeah. Everything would be easier next time. <laughs> we can hear you perfectly clear, Jonathan. Just your video looks like you've been kidnapped by the Hamas. Yeah, because it's already night here. And Hello and welcome to the Post-Materialist Podcast. Hello, Jonathan. Hey, Leah. How are you? Let's start from the people in Zoom because, because you don't have snacks. I mean, Jonathan, you're the speaker. You're the guest today. I will introduce you more broadly soon. I will introduce you as the last one. Ali is um, my assistant in terms of knowledge and in terms of fact-checking. Ali, say hi. Hi, hi, hi. Victor uh, is more today as a listener, maybe a technical assistant, but I think Victor is completely out. Victor, are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm there. I'm just putting okay. my there we go. Victor is an old friend from also the time uh, when we all used to be in the same social movement called the Venus Project. But yeah, we will talk about it more intensely later. Let's introduce the people here that are like, fuck, I feel like a fucking prima donna artist that like you guys are doing stupid errands for me. So from left to right, we have Jens, a friend and an expert in radio and music production. Am I correct? Okay. Hello, Jens. Hi. Uh, we have Mukesh. Mukesh helped us with the studio. Uh, you're a student here. I, I don't, shall I mention anything about this place? Or should I just like, it's a place. It's a studio. It's a university in Berlin. It's a university in Berlin. And uh, Mukesh studying here and also working here. As yeah, take care of the international students and new students that come in. And Guiton helping us with the video. And also you're like guitarist and expert in audio. So I wouldn't say I'm an expert. <laughs> I'm interested. So thank you again for being here. I mean, it was super hard to set up. It took us roughly one and a half hours to set it up. And hopefully we're not going to talk longer than one and a half hours. I look at you and it looks like, you know, we're, we're the, like the, um, the casting for a Netflix series for diversity. <laughs> I don't know if you can see them. You can you see them? No, I it's saw them fucking earlier, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, anyway, that that's cool. Yeah. You will play the terrorist anyway, so. Yeah, the Middle Eastern. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm Ilya Sogolov, your host. I'm starting this podcast officially. And if I don't put this podcast on the internet, you should hit me to death with a dildo, okay? You are, what do you call that? Witnesses. Witnesses, thank you very much. You see, I'm also forgetting my English. You are the witnesses for this to happen. And... And me and Jonathan, we've been also practicing our English, but let's let's introduce you again, Jonathan. You're you're a speaker of a social movement that we used to be involved in called yep. the Venus Project. Yeah. And for money, you're teaching math. Yep. And you're a student of social science now, former student of economy, right? Correct. 
I'm a sociologist. That's what I do here in Berlin. I research mobility. I research how culture change, specifically in the context of bicycles. <laughs> Very focused. So let's start from where do we know each other, Jonathan? The first time I can recall meeting you, not necessarily the first time, but the first time I can remember was in an apartment we got... Uh, Actually, someone donated us for, uh, to us, like the rent for a year. And we were putting all our efforts in this apartment and all social movement called the Venus Project Israeli chapter was managed from there. And then I remember you getting into the apartment saying, wow, that's a cool idea. And I have an idea how to improve it. And you had like a basket, a big basket of uh, bicycle parts. And you said, yeah, we can help people rebuild it or whatever, something like that. Can I, can I leave it here for a week or so? <laughs> and I think you left, there, you left it there for like a year or something until we need to move. <laughs> yes, uh, it was a, I'm, a, I'm a bicycle repairman, but you can see I probably made more damage to this, to this apartment than I made, uh, than I helped. Although, although I think uh, one friend... Um, one friend, Tom, was uh, helping fix his bike, and I still help people to do it here. But we know each other before. You came to my previous university, the Technion, yep. either to give a speech or to present the idea, which I was watching through very, very weird like documentary films that used yep. to be called the Zeitgeist. There was one, two, and eventually three moving forward. Yeah, and, and I then think, I think we uh, we showed the third movie in the Technion, and then we had like questions and answered section. Yeah, and the third movie is the only one that makes sense. So skip the first two. Don't it's weird shit. Don't watch it. And yeah, and it changed my fucking perception on the whole system. And that is the starting point of the podcast. So the whole system, everything, culture, money, politics, fucking everything, and now. I've been, for 10 years, I've been trying to get my shit together. And I've been studying. I've been having fun in Berlin. I've been, became finally a researcher. Which you tra is you travel a lot. I see you tracking. Yeah, I'm, I'm hiking. Yeah, I was hiking. Yeah. But finally, now that I got, I don't know if I got my shit together, but you know, like, to the extent that I have, I, I have to do this because otherwise, like, what the fuck am I doing with my life going through it? living in the world which I don't see, it makes very little sense. And you will tell us pretty much like how, what, what is this way of thinking and why, why the fuck we are so concerned about the system and changing it. You can start talking about these ideas, this set of ideas, this way of thinking, and that will, that will make us understand why am I walking with this idea in my head that I have to podcast about it. Okay. And why do you give lectures? To, to groups of people, young people specifically, in all parts of Israel, in Hebrew, and that's the first time you do it on record in English. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that or start. Shall we talk about economy? Sure. <laughs> okay, let's talk about economy. You mean well, I should talk, talk about, about economy? <laughs> you, you, actually, it was, uh, you know, you have a lecture, so... You're not, you're not lecturing now because it's a talk, but uh, I think the agenda or we had a little bit of like a, like a list of things we want to cover, right? I think actually, I think I remember how you start. 
you start from the guy selling uh, stockings in the subway. Maybe I'll start from another point, if you don't mind. Yeah. I'm very interested in economy and, and economics. And it started when I was quite young. And my father, he was teaching me a lot. And basically, he's an economist and an accountant. And I remember me going with him in our uh, neighborhood. And I saw in one of the uh, windows shopping, um, how do you say that? Uh, Display. Displays of the, what do you call this stuff? Shop displays? Whatever. And they sell like uh, this. Uh, Vitrines. It's also a vitrine. So they sell like these saxophones for kids when you just press and sounds come off. You're like you don't need to actually do anything. And I was very excited. And I said, wow, father, can you buy that for me? And he said, no. Like, sometimes it happens, right? He said, no. And I was like really bitching about it. And I'm like, shit, father, wh- why do we have money? Because I understand that the reason he don't want to buy it to me is because it costs money, not because he has something against saxophones, you know, or something like that. And my father told me, you know what, Jonathan, I'll tell you why we have money. I'll tell you. Imagine you Questioning are... Questioning the system at age five. What a chad. What a what? Okay, continue. <laughs> what a... Totah. What a... Questioning <laughs> the system at age... I don't know how, were, how old you were. I was like maybe seven or something. That's pretty, that's pretty badass. Okay, sorry. Continue. And so my father told me, you know what? I'll tell you why do we have money. Just to, to make clear, my father is a capitalist. And I was a capitalist until I was like 25 or something. And my father told me, okay, imagine, imagine you are four friends and you have like two apples. So you kind of need to decide who gets the apples. So you can use different system. And I was like, yeah, you know, like who's the hungriest? He can take the apples. And my father will say, okay, that's cute. But we don't operate like that usually. You know, not in big societies at least. <laughs> and I'm saying like, I was saying, okay, maybe like a grown up can decide. And he, my father said, yes, yeah, sometimes we do that. We can call it like a totalitarian government or like, a, I don't know, the chief in a smaller society or something. He, he just saying who can get the apples and who not. But this is not how we operate in the West or today in most of the world. So what he was explaining to me is like what we do is saying, OK, every apple costs $5 or whatever, you know. And then we ask who among the four friends want to buy these apples in $5. And let's say all four of them raise their hands. So we didn't solve the problem because we still have only two apples and four friends. So we might say something like, okay, then apples cost $10. Who wants it now? And then two friends, they fold and they say, whoa, $10, that's too much for me. I can settle, I can, I can, for me, peers are enough. You know, I don't, I don't need these apples. And then we solved the problem because the two friends who are willing to, ta- to pay $10, they get the apples. And Sold what, in air quotes because it's going to be audio. Oh, yeah, yeah, in air quotes because obviously there are two friends who obviously wanted the apples. We know it because they were willing to pay $5 for that, which means they, they did want the apples. But in $10, they, they don't allow to themselves or whatever. And... Then we kind of solve the problem and these two friends who pay $10 can get the apple. So what basically my father wanted to tell me his message was in our system, 
the one the people who pays the most they get the stuff this is how it works so money is just a way to decide who gets what but actually what was underlying this was even a deeper truth he wanted to tell me and this deeper truth was that listen son life is hard it's very hard to produce things we never have enough of the things this is why the example starts from two apples and four friends because we never have enough of these things and this is why we need uh, in the beginning to be, to even decide who gets what because obviously if we had 10,000 apples and four friends no one will ask the question how do we divide it or who gets it just they eat as much as they want and the rest is probably be rotten you know so mm-hmm. this was the deeper truth like life is hard, it's hard to produce things. We need to decide who gets what. And money is right. the system, the clean and easy system to choose who gets what. And I was going with this message since I was seven until approximately when I got to, the, uh, to be 14 years old. And then my father told me another story. And this is the story you mentioned earlier. Right. And, and this was the story of... Him getting, uh, doing like a, a trip in Europe, a Euro trip uh, after the army, after he was serving the army, he was like 20 or something. And he tells me he was in the underground, in the metro, and there was a, an old guy selling, how do you say it? Selling stockings. Maybe you can stockings. move to the left and then you can see some of the screen. That's actually quite uh, more entertaining for you. You can all move to the left. You won't be even on camera. Maybe you can all see Jonathan this way. And I won't exclude you for this marvelous beard that you have there. Okay, could please tell us the stocking story. So where was I? So my father, he was in the metro, in the underground. I'm not sure in which country and how they call it. And there was an old guy selling stockings from a cotton box. And this guy, he declares, he's shouting it to the air, that these stockings, they can hold for 50 years. And stockings, and my father knew it. He was a very, um, let's say, passionate about consumerism. And he knew that stockings can't hold 50 years. Maybe the men, they don't know in the, in the studio, but stockings hold between... Sorry? Well, in Berlin, they maybe know, but I mean, maybe, I we know. never know. So, so stocking holds between like one night to three months, six months maybe. Am I correct? <laughs> like we don't need to confirm this because <laughs> Valerie is not on the call. You're like all all, all the you, you hold the, the weight of the all gender, all the gender on your <laughs> tiny. Depends on if the girl knows how to kick. Okay. Depends so, on what? so you as a boxer, as a kickboxer, perhaps. Oh yeah. Depends if the girl knows how to kick. Okay, if she kicks it, it it's uh it dies in five. Minutes. Okay, minutes, so yeah. if, if you're slightly sporty girls, the, the, the girl, then you have like no chance keeping the stocking alive more than, yeah. Okay, yeah. good answer. So, so basically my father, he kind of knew that it's not possible, but this old guy, he actually demonstrated. So he's like, put his foot on the, on the uh, stocking and he pulls the stocking all over his head and nothing happens to the stocking. And he continues. He's like, putting a sheet of paper inside the stocking and he's taking like a utility knife 
and he cut it from the outside and the paper get cut and the stocking isn't. And my father, he's like kind of confused and he's going like slowly, slowly to this old person. And he asks him, okay, if you have such an amazing product, how come you're selling that in the underground? You should go like to the big companies, sell them this idea and you can make millions. And this guy, he's like pointing on his head means my father don't really understand how things work. And he tell my father, if these big companies, if they sell it, if they uh, try and if they start to produce, it, then they can sell like, let's say, 7 billion pieces. But after that, they can sell it for 50 years. So they close the factories, they send the workers home and everyone lose. So in this economic situation, in our rules, the rules of our game, it's just make more sense economically. You make more profit if the stockings will hold for a lower time, for like a shorter time. And actually, this happens with most of the products we have today. Most of them designed to wear out in a shorter time that's possible. Like they never, or not never, but 99% of the time, they don't design the product and they say, how can we make it to hold the longest we can? And like, it's almost never the question. This story confused me because when I was seven, he told me the world is very hard. It's very hard to produce. And this story makes me think we make it hard. It's not like nature make it hard. We as a society, as human beings, we make it hard to produce. Like we, It's very easy to produce, but we do it in an artificial way. We, make the, uh, we keep the scarcity. We keep it in short supply, like that we are never have enough, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna like start questioning the origin of the of the story. It's it's a good anecdotal example. It doesn't have to be true, I think, because because that that everybody can kind of agree, or can you agree that this is the case with the stockings? If you do invent those stockings, and if you do sell them in the metro, then then the whole yeah. thing went uh, going. The concept has a name. It's, it's called. Um... The name of that concept behind it is uh, the name's Blend Obsolescence. Blend Obsolescence, exactly yeah. what we're going to talk about. Yeah. And uh, maybe, <laughs> I already jump ahead, the, this Blend Obsolescence used to be, it sounds like a fucking, right, when you hear it for the first time, maybe 10 years ago, it sounds a little bit conspiratory, a little bit weird, but now my research institute had research project on planned obsolescence. So now it's in today's mainstream science. And my next interviewee, hopefully, she done project on obsolescence. And this is what this is what I want to talk next. So just to put this con this this little talk of our unprofessional talk into a context. Okay, please continue, Jonathan. Actually, and planned obsolescence is just like one strategy that the goal is like the bigger thing is artificial scarcity because our economy is based on things are in shortage they are quite rare if you have something that is too um, abundant if you have too many of it the price goes down right supply and demand if you have too much supply if you have like let's say 100 billion iPhones in the in in the world and it's like everywhere then the price right. goes down if you have too much potatoes, if you like produce, let's say we want, let's say we want five potatoes each and we produce like a hundred potatoes each. We have so many potatoes, the price goes down and down and down and lower and lower. And 
have mm-hmm. to destroy those potatoes, right? I don't remember who plan- said that. I think it was Ali. He said capitalism is like 250 years old. Yeah, exactly. This is the point that Ali was... Che- he was fact-checking your lecture or your not lecture, your key point from, from what you're speaking about. And this is exactly what we talked about before. And I sent Ali to, to check so we, don't, uh, so we don't say anything wrong. But I think, Ali, uh, that's, these are the numbers, right? Yeah, like two, 250 years of this system of economy that we are living in. Basically. Yeah, it is like modern capitalism. It's not, it's not, it's not easy to of... say. It's like democracy. You, you can say it was first made in Athens. Yeah. You can say, no, it's France with the revolution or whatever. It's very hard to say. But like I'm taking the book of Adam Smith, uh, The Wealth of Nations, which is like the Bible of capitalism. And this book is like 280 years ago, years old. And in that time, in that time, the world was very different from the world today, 280 years ago. Like you hardly had any countries. It wasn't countries, it was like kingdoms. Germany was still, didn't exist, right? It was like very, um, like small provinces of, of uh, yes. dukes and kings and whatever. And Bismarck, make it all together just like 150 years ago, more or less, right? Now we can ask Jens about it. Jens can fact check this from your school knowledge. <laughs> more or less. You're right. Yeah, yeah okay, okay. Uh, are, you, are we losing the audience? Is the audience alive and sweating? Sweating? sweating a bit. Are you tired? Are you tired of listening? Oh, not at all. Okay, okay, good. So, uh, yes, yeah, so this economy is super old and this is where we were. And when this economy start to establish, scarcity was something that is very natural. I mean, you couldn't have too many potatoes at that time. Actually, if uh, there were like a, a drought, you don't have enough potatoes and this was something common enough. It could happen quite often. And you couldn't imagine people have like 100 t-shirts in their closet. That was unimaginable 250 years ago. But I actually then, sent Ali to research <laughs> to research major hunger events in the world and uh, like a, like in the recent centuries there's quite a lot in the recent like not in modern times because there are also some in the modern time but it's not on the same scale as 250 years ago yep and so in that time scarcity was something natural like it was something that can happen very easy but since then, our technology, our way to manufacture, you, you can't even recognize it's the same world. Today, it's very easy to manufacture. Today, it's not like we have a very hard world. It's very hard to produce, like my father said. Today, we produce every year 30 billion T-shirts, like shirts, not necessarily T-shirts, like 30 billion. And we are less than 10 billion people on Earth. And we do it yearly, huh? every year. It's very easy to produce food. Today. Ali, look it up. We need to know. Where does this number coming from? <laughs> Ali, look this number up. I don't know if that's real, but it sounds plausible. Okay, the it's, the it's, number it's, about Germany was right. I looked, I checked it. And Germany, like yeah, before 1870, was uh, pro- officially not exist. No, okay. lovely. You're in delay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no. Ali, we're talking about how many t-shirts you said, how many shirts? Yeah, sure. I'm checking it now. I'm checking. 
Let's check this. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're generally interested. That's a random, that's a random ass fact. It's not a random ass fact. It's around 30 billion, uh, like items, items a, a year. And this is yearly, right? So in like decade, this is 300 billion. Today, the competition between manufacturers is not about manufacturing. Like if you're talking about, I don't know, sorry, I'm not, I'm really not into fashion, but let's say mm-hmm. about, Two quite regular, uh, two regular um, um, brands of shirts. Like, I don't know, in, in Israel, it will be Fox and Castro. I don't know what's in, in Berlin, right? But, Zara and what's so all. Yeah, Z- Zara and whatever. whatever. Yeah. So they, they not compete <laughs> about who can produce more officially. This is not the problem. This is not the economic problem anymore. They compete who can sell more shit that they can easily produce. And they need to sell this shit to people who have so much shit in their house already. This is the economic problem of the 21th century. Not producing. Producing is easy. Selling your shit. Marketing. This is the yes. problem. Producing yeah. is very easy. But somehow, we still use this economic system which assume and need scarcity for something to be valuable. So we use an economic system that we actually inherit from our grand, 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 grandparents or whatever, yeah, like 280 years ago, from a world that Germany still didn't exist. They make like a, no, no secular people, no atheist people at all. Newton was kind of religious. No yeah. one was uh, atheist in this, pi- in this time. Wars was still made mostly by swords and arrows. I'm not saying no gunpowder, but mostly, most of the wars, most of the yeah. wars, was made by uh, arrows and swords. And we take our economic system from that era to today, where it's so easy to produce, but we still use the economic system who actually needs something to be in a rare, like uh, in scarcity, to have some values. So the way to kind of make this work is we actually make artificial scarcity. We keep the scarcity in an artificial way. And planned obsolescence is just one way to do it. It's just like one yes, strategy. I have to break down at this point. First of all, your beard is just absolutely fashionable and don't deny that. <laughs> no, Second, but I'm thinking about shirts or whatever, right? Second, just, just, to, just to go back to the point of what sells today. Okay, we have in Berlin Primark, but I'm not even speaking to younger audience when I'm saying Primark, right? I probably should say, what's the thing online that people order from? Shame. I know one shame. Oh, you can you can be loud. That's Zalando. Zalando, of course. Zalando we have. That's a European <laughs> system. European company. They market it everywhere. They ship it to you. Uh, fuck, I'm, uh, maybe. I don't want to do wrong things with this <laughs> podcast, but I don't know that. But there's a thing in China. They kind of produce, actually, on shame. demand. Allegedly shame, on shame. demand. Shine. Shame. Shine. I'm fucking old, but I, I never cared about fashion, right? When I was 16, I didn't know that shit, so I, I wouldn't know it now. I mean, okay, I know I know I should wear contrasting colors, so I, I learned something. Okay, please continue about or about yeah about how do we make fashion scarce nowadays? So, what what the Venus Project says is that our economic system is it like a tradition? It's something we inherit from a very old time. And we didn't notice that somewhere around, I don't know, 60s of the last uh, uh, century, like 1960, maybe even earlier, 
the world changed so dramatically. And I mean about like technology changed so dramatically that we are not in the scarcity world anymore. We are not there, but we still use the same economic system which needs scarcity to work. And we should change it. We should um, go towards a different system of abundance, which means we don't need to maintain the scarcity anymore. And I'll just mention maybe a few ways we do it. Like how do we keep artificial scarcity up to today? So one thing is the planned obsolescence. Second thing with food, I don't know if you knew it, but if there are like if the if it was a good year, let's say the farmers this year had a good year, they did the work, they did it perfectly, and we have so many potatoes because they all was working very hard, very good, and we had enough rain. Everything was, you know, perfect, and we have so many. Testing about potatoes in Germany is lovely. Thank you already in the business of suffering for me for the last two hours. So uh, if I open the window, I hope it won't fuck up the sound. I'll try for a little bit and then we continue. You have good friends to suffer for you like that. I have amazing friends. It's it's crazy shit. Are we recording still? (laughs) What? I'm not recording you. I have amazing friends. We should record that. (laughs) All right. Hopefully... It all has. To mention the, also the fact about the t-shirt was right, over 2 billion t-shirts a year. Wait, so wait, big. Ali, wait. Yala, it's such a soundbite. My ass is recording. Yeah, let's go. So as Ali said, just a fact check, 2 billion t-shirts are sold worldwide, but this is just t-shirt. Remember that most of the ladies, they don't wear t-shirts. They wear other mm. kinds of shirts and you're not wearing a t-shirt at the moment. So this is just T-shirt, 2 billion. So I'm pretty sure 30 billion would be correct, more or less. Ali, one more question. Where did you find this fact? I'm super, I, I mean, also, will you'll get us the link for sure and, and uh, whatever, but citation, or where is it from? Uh, this one, because uh, it was very fast checked. Google, I Googled it, but... Uh, That's I just what Google says. Okay, okay. Yeah. The, well, well, find the source. Once you find the source, just break in and uh, intrude on us. I don't remember why I stopped. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So imagine it's a very nice uh, weather, very nice year. And all the farmers, they were very uh, working very hard. And they produced so many potatoes, so many. So what will happen to the price of potatoes in this system? Yeah. It will go down, right? Down. And it can go down so much, then it can be lower than what the farmer need to pay to the people who pick the potatoes or whatever, it can be so low that it's not worth to the farmer. So what they do, I'm speaking very generally, it can be changed, it can, it can be different from country to country, farmer to farmer, but what they do usually, they go together and they, say, and they like speak together and they say, organize together and they say, okay, we're going to burn 20% of our crop because we need to have less potatoes actually. Because when we have so many potatoes, the price is lower, and they burn the potatoes or they do whatever that need to make the supply uh, smaller, shorter. And actually in the USA, they have this, and here is Ali, uh, a great moment again to fact check, but in, in, in the US, they have this problem since something like the 20s because their technology was already so advanced and they have so much large arable land that they produce already too much. 
then the federal government, they actually subsidize some of the farmers every year to not even start producing. So some of the farmers, they get money from the federal uh, government to not even take their um, uh, machines out of the shade. And this year, just don't do anything and we pay you so and so and so. Because otherwise, they would have so much production, so much potatoes or onions or whatever, that the market, the capitalistic market, can't even work. So this is a federal law. Yes. I mean, what might... year? What year? The 20s or the no? The I 20s, think the 20s. Before the recession, no? I think huh? the 20s. I think the 20s, but maybe Ali can find it. It's a federal law. It's not like something local. It's a federal law. And they actually, I think it's, I think it exists up to today. And they actually pay some of the farmers to not even start work. So otherwise, they would have too much, too much food and the uh, price would be lower. But if we think about economics, and I'm not sure if in English it works, but in Hebrew, the, the meaning of the word economics, kalkala, means to, like, uh, to take care of, to have enough, to take care of, to, to take care of the needs. This is like the... How do you to translate it verbally? To provide, I'm to provide, yeah, to pro- exactly. This is the exact Sorry. translation. The translation, at least in Hebrew, the translation of the word economics is actually to provide. But our economy, our economy, at least at least since the '60s, is not about providing anymore because actually it's quite easy to provide, but then it's hard to sell and market. So it's not about providing anymore, and it's actually almost the opposite. So this is why the government of the U.S., because if you want to provide, there is not, not such things as like too much food. You know what I mean? That means, okay, we have enough food, that's good. But actually, if you have enough food, if it's not in scarcity, then you can't really sell it. There's no like price for it. So it's, yeah, very, yeah. Hard. So it's very hard to our system, our economic system to run. Sorry? Is the jury finding it plausible? Is that, is that, is that make sense so far? I'm still just understanding the supply demand very much so. Uh, I, I don't know what's the solution. There's well, some, there's something that works. We're not here to offer a solution yet, I think. I mean, I mean, the solution is to have, to have a system which has abundance, but how? We don't know. Like to have enough for everyone. This is, this is roughly what we're trying to say. But how, this is the question from here, from which we start, how to have rules of a game We're playing a game in economy that will provide for everyone while not wasting any energy or any products or any throwing away or destroying the planet. Th- this, is, this is the question. What do you think, Jonathan? Sorry. My answer. Did you like my... Sorry, I was reading uh, what's Ali saying. About oh, yeah, that. the potato stuff. Let's, <laughs> let's read it. The potato controller of 19... 19- 29 was based on uh, by the way potato controller is one of the spells that did not make it into the final edition of Harry Potter you can say it Ali you, you can just like But I'm not uh, sure this is, I'm not sure it's the same law because it doesn't say what this law actually uh, offers so much so potatoes in this so I don't what know the fuck uh Uh, yeah, yeah Ali, tell us about it. Okay, I found it on uh, Wikipedia, and yeah, it's not a complete because it's a, it's a page about uh, com- and yeah, it's based that government uh, is controlling and saying the farmers not to produce exactly as you said because the price uh, goes higher basically yeah. if they produce. 
Go lower. Go too low. Uh, go lower. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. okay so. He keeps searching it, so you have like solid sources. No, no, he has solid like, sources. Like Wikipedia is for me. Wikipedia it's is about laws. For me, it's often enough, but people uh, like to talk down Wikipedia because anyone can edit it. People really talk shit about it, especially if you're an academic. Like, yeah, just follow the links, Ali. Follow the links. See where it comes from. Ali found some better sources five minutes later. So Ali, I wasn't so far. I said the 20s. I see it's the 30s. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you did a good job. I mean, really good. I'm impressed. Oh, no. The potato controller is like 29. So I wasn't that far. 35 is just when it's like uh, eventually passed, I guess. Signed. Yeah, yeah I think you, you, and you said 1920. So you were right. Okay. Uh, okay. So I, I didn't hear the commenting slash what i said what i said um uh, no, what's the, the, the solution then ah, okay. and i was yeah. saying well the solution is to have abundance of a system that provides everyone enough and more than enough but how to do it we don't provide you an answer this is the research question of us all yeah for me for for me just starting the debate starting talking about it i, I want to see that in tv people talking about it just to people to know that at the moment We can, at least technically, I'm not saying how to do that politically or how to do that economically, but just to know that technically we can provide very easy to everyone on earth what they need. And I want right. to give one example. I'm not sure how to translate it into like a other culture, other cultures, but you know, these things that kids usually collect, they like pay good money to collect some like a... Cards, uh, stickers or cards like uh, football cards or whatever do you have something like that of course this shit still exists here right so but I audience, see them on the street the, sometimes the audience, it's garbage the audience know what I'm talking about yes yeah, okay baseball cards or Pokemon cards yeah like Pokemon cards something that you collect it's trendy at the moment all the kids do it like all the kids almost all the kids do it and it costs like it's good you're paying that for that like good dollars So let's talk about that. I had a friend, which a good friend, where we were like in a sixth grade. He got every day like $10 or something to buy this shit. He was buying like five or six packs of these cards. And he was like buying them. And he opened the, the envelope, the package, and he looks at the cards and he threw them to the garbage, like the cards and the package. And he opened the second one, he looked at the cards, and he put all the cards in the garbage. Yeah. Do you know what, what he does? Because he already have those cards or what? Yeah, because he already <laughs> have those cards, right? Because he buys five every day, he has all the regular cards, and he's looking for the rare ones, right? Like they're the special ones, uh -huh. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But right. what makes the cards so special? Like... Is it so hard? Mm -hmm. They bring it from the Himalaya or from the deep oceans or like, why is it? <laughs> Himalaya. Mukesh is from the Himalaya. That's why he laughs. Okay, he knows so... that it doesn't come. Maybe he produces that. Just like <laughs> NFTs, it's all about what's rare. NFTs, yeah. That's the new, that's the new card game of the grown-ups. Of the grown-ups. So I don't want to be a podcast that talks about NFTs. Let's move away from this topic quickly. So, so basically what makes it rare, it's actually just a human decision of the producer, right? He goes to the manufacturer, to the, like, to the place who prints that, and says, 
at this point, the Zoom cut me off because of shitty connection in um, internet in Germany. And I was for a second blaming it on Jonathan, which was wrong. I cannot also hear him and see him. Yeah, it seems like he's off, right? Yeah, Berlin internet connection, not so uh, well known. Yeah, he bombed the Berlin, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Ilya? Are you there? Yeah, are you back, Ilya? (laughs) Yes, it was so, so what, the Maldives uh, ran out of internet. It's a scarce product over there. I think it's Berlin's. (laughs) Sorry, me and Ali. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I, I I genuinely believe you because the internet in Germany sucks, but we're not yeah. going to be the podcast who does that either because the, the news already doing it to complaining about it. And it's not my job to complain about I'm I'm fucking happy here. Jonathan, did you pay your bills? So. <laughs> oh, in the Maldives, the Airbnb just like cuts him out of utilities. No, no. Actually, I was surprised. They have like 5G. I'm using the SIM card as a hotspot and they have like a 5G and it works really well. Uh, you know, I'm not surprised at all because, like, o- only people who are rich enough to to reach the Maldivians are there. So no, no, I'm get... in a local island. This island is not very expensive. Oh, really? I'm in a local island, yeah, not like any resort. I don't Fuck. have. Fuck! Don't make commercial for the Maldives. People are gonna fly there and gonna gonna, yeah, yeah, gonna burn more CO2. Don't come here. We have mosquitoes. Don't come here. It's a shitty place. We have sharks in the water. Don't come. Oh here. yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> more of that, please. More of that. Okay. So, is the producer like the, the, the owner of the, this cards company or whatever, they come to the uh, printer and they says, you know what, print like, from this card, print like 20 millions. And from this card, print like 10 millions. And from this card, print only like 3,000. And usually the printer will say, you know, to print 3,000 or a million might be not very different in price. Maybe you want to print some more, you know? And this guy would say, no, 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 believe me, print only 3,000. And only five Charizards in the whole <laughs> collection of five billion. Exactly. Only five. And, and eventually, and eventually, you see kids spend millions on that. But now let's try to make a very simple calculation. Okay, I know the numbers for Israel, but we can try and do that for Germany. Do you know how many kids in Germany? Uh, less than in Israel per population, but okay, we have no, 80 more, more something million Israel. here. More, more in total, more in, yeah, total, yeah, yeah, in total, less per capita. Shit up. Okay, let's do it for Israel, okay? The the numbers might be sound weird because it's not your numbers, but okay. We have like a a million and a half kids, okay? Okay. Like in school. Like in school, a million and a half. And then... Out of a 10 million population, something like that. Yeah, something like that. And if we want, if we want to provide, right? If the economy uh, goal is to provide and we want to provide these kids, we want to give them the fucking whole collection. Like... Uh, we want to uh, for them to catch them all, right? <laughs> yes. And we're going to print <laughs> from each card a million and a half copies. And if we print a million and a half copies, how much will it cost? Like each copy. Uh, if I say like two euro cents, that makes sense for you guys? Probably, yes. If you have a printer, yeah. Yeah, if you print, if you go to a... a, a how do you say Printers, printers shop, I guess. Print, fuck, I so if you go to a printer a, factory, yeah, yeah. If you go to a big place who actually print books, usually whatever you know, like, and uh, you want to order from him a million and a half copies of this sticker, this card. Okay, let's say five cent. Okay, five cent each, and then it costs five cent, and you have like two hundred cards in the collection. So times five cents, that would cost you what? 10 euro. So you yeah. can provide each kid 
the whole collection for 10 euro. It will be very easy to do that. But in our system, each kid spends so much more than 10 euros in his life on this ship. But yet, you probably don't know even one kid who have the whole collection. Yeah, that's how economy works. So basically, this is the model of the whole economy. I mean, it's very, very easy to see with these cards. And it's sometimes harder to believe that we do the same with the whole economy. But this is how the whole economy operates. Are you we, saying that we live in a Pokemon economy? Why are you saying like that? Yeah, yeah. So we, we are actually <laughs> keeping the scarcity in an artificial way. We're keeping it instead of saying in somehow, okay, let's find a way to not keep it. Let's find yeah. a way to work in a different way, in a different system without this scarcity. And let's leave this scarcity in the 1960s because we can't. Maybe let's do questions, a little bit discussion, and uh, probably wrap it up. To you and me, it's less exciting, and this was a technical mess, so we'll have to see. But I, I don't think we need to cover everything, because we talked about planned obsolescence already, and now I can go back, talk to someone who actually researched planned obsolescence and know their shit, and then I can go back to you once I know how to fucking podcast, and I don't need, like, uh, yeah... I don't need to be that confused with technicalities. Maybe that's a good place to do Q&A. Let's start that. Questions about Pokemons, about uh, food, food waste, textile, electronics we didn't even cover. But we, we understand, I think, electronics pretty much, how it's obsolete and everything. Like, Jonathan, why do this? <laughs> I know you want to start a... I know you want to start a discussion around everything and all your points more or less make sense. It's more about awareness, but yeah, I, I don't see the impact. Okay. Mainly I do it because it's interesting and it's fun. Mostly. <laughs> this is the main reason. I would be happy to say I want to change the world. I want to help people, but mainly because it's interesting. It's fun. I like to do it. I like to lecture. I like to talk about these topics with people. This is the main reason. But also because if I'm going to another aspect, it's you saying no impact and I can relate to that. But I think most of the time, the public discussion or like the human discussion goes very slow and everyone contributes like one meal of a percentage to the discussion. And if I can contribute a comma or a dot to the human discussion, I'll be happy. And that's enough for me. That's fucking amazing answer. It, it covers partially what I, what I feel. It's for me, as, as I said, I live in this world and it doesn't make sense. And we have climate change and we have wars and we have scarcity, which is not real. So what can I do? I can do this. It's, it's not much. And I'm, and I'm going to tell people, okay, like and subscribe and fucking share. And, and this is going to be my contribution. But uh, this is where I start. And this is where I'm doing something. And later on, hopefully, uh, we reach something. In all honesty, Jonathan has been doing it for like 10 years. And you have reached actually, even means um, uh, you reach primetime television once or twice now. Three times prime time for like 10, 15, 20 seconds, sometimes like one minute or two. 
maybe five, 10 times national radio, uh, many schools, many like uh, young leaders um, programs. Okay. You talk to an educated person in Israel and without like business project or whatever it is, resource-based economy, people know what we're talking about. People know that there's a contradiction within the system. Some people, it, it's, it doesn't help because the, the country is going to shit, but okay. It's because your circumstances, you, if you were doing it in, um, yeah. I think most of the people who in Israel who are dealing with social change, especially with economic social change, they heard the Venus project. They heard something about it. We did quite a good job in Israel for 10 years. I think like between one and 2% of the general population know about the Venus project in Israel, which for me is amazing. 2% is a lot for me. And if we are going to the more educated people, more about social change, I think it's between 20 and 50%. Yeah. So Ali can't verify those numbers. Sorry, no, Ali. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if uh, um, the professor I'm going to talk to next time, if she did the research, I mean, who, who read it? Maybe like a couple of colleagues, few people. I don't think even the government has read it. So for me, it's also part of my passion. Like if she discovered why things are made obsolete intentionally, how and how do they work? And if she is she even thinking in this way or she's just like, OK, I guess we have to make things obsolete. Or, or does she think we need to change something? These are topics I want to raise with her and with people who actually can maybe, maybe change something one day. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, so I don't expect that there's already an answer from, from you um, about how to like what is what is the solution of changing from a system of a system of scarcity to abundance but but um, just in case you do and I do want to spoil the rest of the show uh, do you have uh, is there any any uh, I don't know solution suggestion of changing how you use price as the method to decide the the, the distribution I'll, I'll try to answer it like very generally, it will be still very be vague. Yeah, but mm-hmm. the question of how to decide who gets what is a question of scarcity. Only when you have scarcity, this question makes sense. If you have 10,000 apples and four friends, no one will ever think if it didn't raise in a very scarcity society, you will never think how should we divide it among us. And I'll give you an example. The air you breathe, at the room, at the moment. All of you need it. Very need oh, yeah. it. Very, very <laughs> We're in scarcity here, man. But, but who, who, will, uh, who is the owner of the air in the room? Who owns it? No one. Like, the, the question is not even raised. Like, you can say about, you, can, you, you know who owns almost everything on earth, but air, because air is in abundance, at least at the moment, I don't know what will happen in 20, 30, 40 years, but at yes. least at the moment, air is abundant, then there is no discussion in the UN, who, or whatever, in your government, who owns the air, because it's so abundant. So at the moment, anything is abundant, and, and it was abundant for generation and generation, there is no question who gets what, who gets how many air, you don't ask it. But if you're in a spacecraft and you have limited air, then the question raised. Then we say, okay, maybe, maybe women and children first, or maybe 
maybe the leader first or whatever, then we can ask this question. So at the moment you are in abundance system, the question, it doesn't even make sense. It makes sense only for people who raised in under scarcity situation. Only these people, which means all of us, <laughs> then we ask this question. Yeah. That makes sense somehow? Um, but I think, um, like, I cannot just ignore how capitalism made abundance at the first place because people have... The, the things are in the abundance state uh, only because people think they are in scares. Yes. In the beginning. Yeah, of, of course. And we didn't say it. Maybe we'd bash too much on capitalism. Like, capitalism was great 100 years ago, 60 years ago, maybe. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking if, if, if things don't get distributed uh, with price, with profits, then how would people want to produce things? At the first place. So I... She's she asking about motivation. like Motivation. Now we talk, well, I know in the realm of like, uh, very good that you started. We will have a whole episode about that. But uh, let's start. Start shortly, shortly, some answer on that. Uh, okay. I'll try to do it very shortly. I mean, I want to keep your next episode intact. It will be intact no matter what we say here. Okay, but or, I mean, I mean... It depends on me and my motivation and you guys super helping me. I'll, but... I'll, I'll try to connect it to how we started. And I was like uh, yeah. babbling about culture and the myth in the culture. This part I edited out and it will be either re-recorded or edited in future episodes. Since it was somewhat confusing and incoherent. So one of the myths in our culture is that people only move and do things for money. And if they don't have this physical things uh, to make them um, motivated. They won't do anything. But actually, money is maybe one out of 40 motivation we can speak of when we go to behavioral science. We see so many different motivational uh, aspects. And people do, like one of the motivation is to belong, to belong to a community, to belong to somewhere. People do a lot for that. And also you can see people going to the gym and they work very hard, but no one pay for them. No one pay them to do that. And they actually pay a membership to do that. So yes, they have a lot of motivation, but they don't get anything for it. And in Israel, you can see people who are going to combat unit in the army and actually jump on grenades to help their friends, but no one pay them to do that. And they have different kind of motivation. In this, in, in this um, case, it's because in Israel, we have such a military education. And like, since we are like in, se in second grade, they have these horrific sentences, like it's good to, to die for our country. This is like something they actually teach you in second grade. Like, as like a, a, as a, a very famous dude in history said it. I mean, yeah. like, I don't know if we, of course, people can look at it more cynically now, but people are still willing to go. But, but they still, but they still die. teach it. It's like, like one of the heroes of the Israeli culture in the, I don't know, 40s or 30s. And he was saying that when he was... It like was dying. more the 20s, more the... Yeah, yeah so he was 20, like dying 30s. and saying, it's good to die for my country. So they educated people like that since they are second grade. And then we are, when, when Israeli people are in 11th grade, 12th grade, this is just a little bit before the draft to the military, they start to compete each other. Yes, I'm going to this unit, I'm going to this unit, you know, something like that. And then when you have this education, you can see them do like crazy things, like really endanger their life for their country. So what I'm trying to say, that if you can make them um, endanger their life for the country, 
in practical meanings, it's easier to make them build for their country. It's still easier than spill their blood. So if that's possible, probably we can find a way to do that. Yeah, yeah maybe I can also talk about future episodes related to science. And there's a, Alim, you can look at, start looking at it now, you can finish looking it up later. But there's a whole study that was a very famous TED talk about what motivates us. And they look and they check that, that up for, for rep- repetitive tasks, money is a very good motivator. So once you get into creative area, after a certain, it, it doesn't work anymore. So, um, I mean, I need to, yeah, I need yeah, to yeah. tell you exactly this the study. The federal, but... This is a Federal Reserve, American but, Federal Reserve study. Right. Yeah. Study by American Federal Reserve, shortly kind of called What Motivates Us. It's, it's done by a bank institute, essentially. So we potentially need to cultivate the, some enthusiasts for planting potatoes. Yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, uh, we haven't talked about automation and we haven't talked about our technology and what it can do today. And we haven't talked about um, about uh, the human capacity and potential and the curiosity, the natural curiosity of and I would kind of education system who the current education system who usually take this curiosity out of the people. But we can change the education system or we should change the education system as well. Yeah, this is like each one of them is an episode, but I mean, <laughs> but but in short, in short answer, very short answer, growing potatoes is something we can do automatically quite easy. We don't need people to do it. We don't need people to harvest the potatoes or or to saw, uh, see them, yeah, or see them. We Actually, I would all. do it voluntarily for fun, but you know, like to provide for everyone, we need robotics. Yeah, but but we don't need to do that. People would do different kind of jobs, but not this one. Not like very, in Hebrew, we say black jobs. How do you say that? Like uh, <laughs> manual yeah, Dirty jobs. jobs, dirty manual, repetitive jobs. Yeah. Yeah, we hardly need people to do it today. We have such a to- like automatic tools to do that. We just don't use it enough. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you sure. Say? Also, what time is it in? Oh, I didn't ask you guys what time. I was like, uh, when I was doing the small talk, I was like, what time is it now in the Maldives? Is it already 12? After midnight. Yeah, after 12. After midnight. Sorry, man. No I hope this episode will stay forever somewhere and will actually have more listeners. It's more about giving the finding the right listeners, like the professor or somebody you want to speak to. With this episode, I can tell them, okay, listen for minute 15 and relate to that. And tell me about that. Tell me your knowledge and tell me your position. Yeah. What time is it, Victor, over there? Are you alive? (laughs) He's gone. Such a meme. He's a goner. Okay. Ali is the same time zone as us. Berlin is nine and nine hours and 10 minutes PM right now. So uh, it's a good time to close, I think. Thank you very much. Yes. Pleasure. Thank you, Jonathan Ganmo, for being with us. Thank Mukesh for hosting us in the studio. Thank Witong for taking this video. Thank you, Jens Devald, for the post-production on a very professional level. To Victor Tendler for assisting uh, with the initial conception and initial work. For Alina Gidinia for the fact-checking and the show notes. To Achil Rudolph for coaching and pushing me to publish this podcast. And to Stephen Paul Taylor for the amazing music. Yeah, and everyone who, there was even more people helping me in this. So I hope I meet you very soon in the next episode when we talk with someone who actually very, very professional to continue this discussion. 